So with, with the pressure from, from the French and, and from other corners of the world, why was this ultimately unsuccessful in getting Guardo back to his family? It's interesting. The, the, um, the Pope himself was kind of politically naive, you might say. Um, and he had a very strong number two, his Secretary of State, Cardinal Antonelli. And Antonelli um, actually tried to convince him to find an excuse to release the child. So the, the Pope, the idea from the Pope's point of view was um, the law of the church, canon law was very clear from his point of view that a Jewish child who had been baptized is now Catholic. To return that child to a Jewish family, uh, they would almost surely be guilty of apostasy, which is you know, a terrible sin, uh, backsliding away from Catholicism and into uh, Judaism. So Antonelli suggested, well, you know, could find an excuse for one thing. It wasn't entirely clear he had been baptized. The, uh, uh, the claim was that a family servant, a teenage illiterate uh, Christian girl, had um, thought that the uh, child, when he back when he was one years old, one year old was sick and might die, and therefore, uh, furtively without anybody knowing, uh, baptized him herself. Uh, but what if she really didn't? Because there are various reasons to think maybe she made up the story. That's all they would have had to say in order to uh, release the child. But the Pope stood firm. He said he believed the child had been baptized and that uh, he, he, uh, they could, he could lose his kingdom, uh, but it was more important to stick with uh, Catholic theology and, and Catholic doctrine. How did the events um, contribute and impact on the position and power of the church in Italy? Well, I think there's a case to be made, and I try to make it in my book, that the Mortara case contributed to the unification of Italy, to the fall of the Papal States. Uh, as I mentioned, the uh, Mortara case uh, led the uh, the French emperor to be uh, how much take a much more hostile view toward the continuation of the, of the Papal States. And in fact, within a year, he would decide to uh, join the uh, Victor Emmanuel II, the king of uh, northwestern region of Italy, the kingdom of the Savoyard Kingdom, uh, to uh, basically end papal rule in most of the papal states. And this was the beginning this would lead. Uh, so just one year after, almost to the day, after the knock on the door at the Mortaras in 1858, in June 1859, papal power uh, falls in Bologna. And most of the papal states, uh, and the only remaining region of the papal states under the Pope's power is the region around Rome, where French, and that's where the French uh, limit themselves to protecting. So, um, you know, one could suggest, and not just that, but Cavour himself was kind of the Italian architect of unification, uh, uses the Mortara case to uh, convince kind of moderates that the day has come uh, where the Papal rule is should be seen as a medieval vestige and should come to an end. Perhaps a, a, a bit loaded in the question, you can defer and punt on this. Um, does the theological underpinnings behind the abduction still exist today? 
So this is one thing I find quite surprising because I'd say the answer is, if I had to say yes or no, the answer is yes, it still exists today. Um, I was recently or fairly recently uh, a year or so ago doing research about the uh, Finale case in France of these two um, Holocaust orphans who uh, were hidden in various church institutions to keep uh, them away from their surviving Jewish relatives after the Holocaust, after the war and who, by the way, live in Israel today. Um, but the, um, and when I was looking at that, the, let's see, why still after the Second World War would these children would be kept from the Jewish family on the grounds that they'd been baptized, which is basically the grounds. Uh, I discovered that canon law still today authorizes and even encourages uh, Catholics to baptize Jewish children if they think they're in danger of death, even without their parents' consent. I found this so hard to believe that I consulted a kind of canon law expert in the United States about this and say, said, yes, that's it's still there. So, yeah, I mean, the big difference, of course, is that Pope no longer has police powers. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the uh, keeping children away from their parents is uh, no longer something that is uh, authorized by the state. Did the church ever apologize or retract um, their position for the kidnapping? No, as far as I know, they they never have. And um, they would, I suppose, say, well, that was, uh, you know, an earlier time. But as I say, the the basic theology and the basic uh, canon law, I don't think has has changed. What changes the fact that the Catholic Church Nowhere has that kind of uh, police authority. When you speak, um, especially to young people, um, the message or how do you convey um, what happened there and what lessons we should be learning from from the incident that happened in 1858? Well, I think yeah, the main modern lesson is the importance of separation of church and state. That um, where the church or any religious church or whether it is now we're not just talking uh, the Catholic church, but of course, uh, if we're talking Muslims, uh, Islam, or, uh, or for that matter, Judaism. Uh, and I know this gets at potentially particular issues probably in Israel. Um, but the ability of the, uh, of the state through, through uh, religious institutions to, um, invade the uh, individual family's rights, and especially in this case, uh, rights of members of another uh, religion uh, based on what their religious beliefs are. Um, you know, this is, I think, a, a cautionary tale. And uh, I think we see that certainly as an American in, in the U.S., uh, problems of uh, lack of separation of church and state and uh, uh, demands by certain kinds of uh, religious figures that the uh, laws of the state should accord with certain of their religious ideas, uh, you know, these are all uh, very contemporary kind of concerns. Without giving too much away, because we really do want our, our viewers and listeners to, to purchase and read the story, um, the family, mother, the father, the rest of the siblings, um, just take us through a little bit of what happened afterwards, and, you know, and how that played out over the years. Yeah. Well, so Edgardo is taken, he's age six, and uh, brought to this house of the catacombs in Rome. He's then put in a um, kind of seminary, 
Um, he uh, occasionally gets to visit his new father, the Pope. Um, the, uh, his father, Momolo Mortara, starts to travel out throughout Europe to try to drum up political support and place political pressure on the Pope to release his child. None of this works. Uh, meanwhile, of course, they're also hoping that Rome will fall to the unified Italy because it's something a lot of people don't know that when the kingdom Italy first came about, which was 1861, Rome was not its capital because Rome was still under the uh, papal rule. And uh, so it would only be basically 12 years after uh, Edgardo was taken in 1870 that finally Rome falls, the French troops are withdrawn, uh, and uh, Rome falls to the Italian army. Uh, and the father, Momolo, uh, rushes down there to uh, reclaim his son, but his son is now 19 years old and had spent you know, a great part of his life in Catholic institutions, and uh, he um, doesn't want to go back to his family. So his father and his mother are both crushed uh, and basically uh, it certainly destroyed the father and uh, the mother would... Um, you know, have to live with this uh, sorrow the rest of her life. But uh, there would be occasional times when, as an adult, he would come in and visit his mother uh, and, in fact, try to convert his mother to Catholicism. What what archives, um, first-hand archives, did you have access to to research uh, and write this incredibly compelling account? Uh, well, there are three main archives that I use for this. So, one in Bologna itself. Um, so what I didn't mention is that when a year after Edgardo was taken, the um, papal power fall, falls in Bologna, uh, one of the first criminal cases is the arrest in early January 1860 of the Inquisitor, who's, and that's what gives my book uh, its title, The Kidnapping of Edgardo Mortara, because he's charged with kidnapping Edgardo Mortara. And this resulted in about 700 pages of handwritten testimony or handwritten uh, recording of testimony of all the principals in the case, uh, the Inquisitor, the uh, Momolo Mortara, his uh, wife, the uh, policeman who had seized Edgardo and taken him to uh, Rome, the servant girl who allegedly baptized him. So it's an incredible kind of kaleidoscope of testimony. And uh, so that was one source. Another source was in the Vatican itself, the records of the Vatican, which are, are quite extensive and were somewhat difficult to find because they were misfiled. But eventually when I did find them, they were, um, you know, they told the story of what was going on behind the scenes of the Vatican at the same time. And then the uh, third major pillar would have been, was the uh, Jewish community archives in Rome, at the, which are found in the uh, Gran Tempio, in the major synagogue in Rome. And there, because... Um, the Jewish community of Rome had a lot of experience dealing with Pope, including in, in cases like this. And so the, uh, the Jewish community and the friends, the Jewish friends, you might say, of the Mortara case of the Mortara family in Bologna were in constant correspondence with the Jewish community in Rome. And then, uh, Momolo and, uh, Mariana, the parents come to Rome to visit their son in the house of the catacombs. And this is also kind of all uh, arranged through the Jewish community in Rome. So those archives, I have digitized now you know, thousands of pages of these archives. Um, any word on the potential movie 
uh, adaption of the book? And, and, and if so, how would you like to see the movie? What kind, how do you the movie? Well, yes, it's been both exciting and also frustrating. And I'm not uh, an expert in movie making, so maybe this is what happens with movies. But um, some time ago, uh, my friend uh, Tony Kushner, who's a screenwriter and, of course, a, a playwright, um, got in touch with me. He, he at the time, was uh, writing the script for the film Lincoln for uh, Steven Spielberg, he called to say he had given a, him a copy of my of this book, Kidnapping Garda Mortara. Uh, Spielberg had taken it on vacation, had read it, um, and uh, now wanted to make a movie. So then, um, and this is now a dozen years ago, uh, as, uh, Spielberg then called me. We had a long conversation. He told me he read the book twice, said he was um, thought this would make a great film. He was committed to it. And that he, uh, to my delight, would hire... Um, and Tony Kushner to write this screenplay. Tony subsequently wrote a fantastic screenplay for the film, and they were all ready to to uh, shoot it a few years ago. They had 35 actors ready. The uh, artistic director had spent three months in Italy getting everything set up there. And uh, they did, um, but at the center of the story is a six-year-old child. So they did auditions of uh, 4,000 six-year-old or seven-year-old children in four, literally in four continents, including in Israel. Um, and in you know, London, and New York, and California, and Canada, and Australia. Uh, and at the last minute, uh, Spielberg decided that he didn't have the right child for the role and would postpone it. So, um, Subsequently, I won't go through, nor can I, because some of this is sort of not up to me to reveal, but um, been various permutations going on. But we're I'm still hoping that this happens, but um, it, it hasn't happened yet. Okay. And, and yeah, just one final word. I mean, my interest about the film, uh, you know, other than getting this story out and therefore having more people read the book, uh, is that uh, it be done well and be done true to the historical uh, record. Uh, so one you know, worries about Hollywood ending, where in the end, Edgardo rushes back and embraces his parents and you know, puts a, a kippah on, and you know, <laughs> so, you know, things that never happened. So I'm confident that, assuming this film ever does get made, that uh, Tony Kushner and Spielberg will, will respect that. Well, in, in, until then, um, we, we urge all of our viewers and listeners to to purchase the book as we said it's an, as a, as you have heard it's just a, a fascinating account and it has so many political and international ramifications and uh, Professor Kurtz we just thank you very very much for your time we appreciate it very much my pleasure. <laughs>